powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a big thank you to my last guest, Stephen P. Jarko. What a distinguished guest, and I was thrilled he took the time out of his very busy schedule to speak with me. If you have not heard our very in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this interview. So up in episode 198, and we have an absolutely amazing episode lined up for you today, we have on the show Samantha Peshek. Samantha is a former elite gymnast, having competed for Team USA in the 2007 World Championships and then in the 2008 Summer Olympics. Samantha will be talking about her love of gymnastics, competing at the elite level, the 2008 Olympics, UCLA, and so much more. This is a very in-depth interview and a real honor to have her with us. So let's get Samantha out here. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from Austin, Texas, gymnastics world champion and Olympian, Samantha Peshek. <laughs> Samantha, hello. Welcome to the Dark Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? You know, it's kind of gloomy. It rained a little bit, and, and normally that's not a good thing, but everyone in Austin is just so excited for it not to be 110 degrees out, so we'll take it. Fair enough. So with the pandemic winding down, how was it for you to navigate the COVID-19 world? You know, I think we all had our set of struggles when it comes to COVID and, and how our lives got flipped upside down. I know a lot of people had loved ones that were sick or you know, even passed away during that time. And I had my life turned upside down. I had to move states. I ended a job. I recreated a new job. And so really it was like my life turned upside down and everything that I knew was non-existent anymore. And so I think in a lot of ways, it was like the start of something new that I wasn't excited for and I didn't really want at the time. But, you know, being on the other side of it, I think that everything happens for a reason. And it was everything that I needed, even though I didn't know that I needed it during that time. Fair enough. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? I am from Indianapolis, Indiana. I lived there for 18 years before I moved to California, where I went to college. But, you know, it's funny because I didn't didn't know probably how to describe my childhood when I was in it. You kind of only know what you're experiencing. And then when I went off to LA, where I went to college, I realized just how utopian my childhood was. 
you know, neighborhoods, white picket fence, you know, esque. We did family bike rides to go get ice cream. And um, my family was big on games. So after, you know, it wasn't often that we had family meals because of my practice schedule. But when we did, we always ended with like knockout and basketball outside. And so um, we were just a really active house in the summer. We'd be on the boat and I went to school like every other kid. And that was, it was just pretty normal if I had to describe it in any way, which, you know, I didn't think was special or cool until I grew up and I'm, I'm so grateful for my childhood. What are your earliest memories of wanting to be in gymnastics? Well, my parents were both college athletes. My mom was a gymnast in college. My dad was a hockey player and a wrestler. And the story goes that they were, you know, arguing on which sports we would do. My mom obviously wanted me to do gymnastics and my dad wanted me to do hockey, but was willing to settle for me being an ice skater. And so, you know, it was really smart of my mom to say, okay, let's, why don't we put her in everything and then she can decide. And so my dad agreed, but the problem with that plan is that you can't start hockey and ice skating when you're two. So it was gymnastics was the earliest sport that I could start. Um, and by the time that I was old enough to choose, I wanted nothing to do with anything other than gymnastics. <laughs> was gymnastics something that came to you very naturally or do you have to really work at it? You know, I think genetically and physically, I probably was like, a good gymnast. I had pretty good body awareness, but I had a lot of fears. So like mentally the sport was not easy for me at a young age. I actually had to repeat levels and all my friends moved up levels ahead of me and I had to repeat levels. So it wasn't like I was this prodigy star, to be honest. Um, when I was five, I told everybody I wanted to go to the Olympics. And then I started having a lot of fears at like the most basic things in gymnastics. And so I'm sure everyone thought that that would never happen because of the obstacles I was encountering at such a young age. But for me, it was just something that I loved and challenge of it. And I just kept going back every day. And then, um, you know, when I was 12 years old, I, I made the national team and that was really the start of a new path for me in the sport. What would you say, you know, was the easiest event for you starting out? And then the flip side of that coin, what was the hardest one you would say was for you to figure out? You know, I think if you ask any gymnast, they probably have like an automatic answer of what event they like the best. But I think the the true answer for any gymnast is whatever you're having a good day on at the time. So sometimes you'll have a good stretch of good days on balance beam. And so that's your favorite. And then you'll have a good stretch on bars and that's your favorite. So it really changed throughout my career for me in particular, since I had a lot of fears in the sport, it was like whatever event I didn't have a fear on that day. So, um, it, certain events I like to compete more and certain events I like to train more, but all in all, I think my favorite event in gymnastics is beam. Okay. Fair enough. Would you say, what would you say would be the hardest one you ever had to struggle with? Um, I think bars was the hardest for me. Uh, it wasn't as natural as some of the other events. And so I didn't quite have the difficulty on that event that I did. On the other events, but you know, the irony of all of that is when I got to college, it's actually the only event that I have a perfect 10 on. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Who chose your music for your floor routine and why was that music chosen? It depends on what year you're asking, but we, we always got to pick our own music in college. Actually, our head coach had a big hand in it and she probably had the biggest say in all of my career, but she also had great taste. So we, most of us trusted her 
to to help with that process. What what goes into the actual selection of the music? Is it just basically like what you're choosing in your routine and it just goes with the flow or what goes into that selection? I think it's a personal choice and personal style. I mean, for me, I needed really upbeat and fun music, something that I could smile and, and entertain the crowd with and something that I enjoyed doing every day. Some people like, you know, a lot slower, more ballerina style. That is absolutely not for me. So I think it's mostly just however you like to, when you step on the floor, what is going to help you perform at your best? And for me, it was being a little sassy and a little bit fun and really just engaging with the audience. Fair enough. What do you remember from being asked to join Team USA? Well, I wasn't asked to be, to join Team USA. Um, you have like a very strenuous set of qualifications and then you have to, to earn a spot. So um, I would say they don't really ever ask anybody to be part of Team USA. Um, it's really something that you have to earn, which I think makes it even more special when you do make it. Um, my first year, I actually didn't know the meet was a qualification to make the national team. So I think it was probably better that way. I would have been really nervous had I had known that was on the line, but ended up accidentally making the national team when I was 12 years old. And then you just go to national team training camps once a month. And if they have international assignments, then you have to compete for a spot on those international assignments. So I would say that there's never, never a time where you're getting asked to do anything, maybe chosen, but you're really always having to earn your spot on every single team that you make. You mentioned it briefly, but you did say balance beam is truly probably where you are at your best. Why would you say the balance beam is your best event? Balance beam is, was my best event. I think because I had so many struggles on it as a young gymnast. I mean, I started my company now beam queen bootcamp because because it's everything I wish I had as a young gymnast. I had so many fears on the event and it was so frustrating to not be able to do the skills that I knew that I could do. And so I almost quit gymnastics because of how terrified I was of balance beam. None of my teammates had fears and I had to do a lot of mental work, mental toughness work at a young age to try and get over that. And so, you know, when you're eight years old doing positive self-talk and visualization and really being diligent because you want to get over your fear so bad, by the time you're 12 to 14 to 15, my mind was just so rock solid. And so I think all of the work that I put in um, with my mental choreography actually helped me be an icier competitor. And that ended up kind of becoming my golden ticket that I didn't always have the flashiest skills. I didn't always have the most amount of difficulty, but whenever I saluted, I knew I was going to hit. So having that trust built upon me and me knowing that I had the confidence to hit no matter what, I think it all stemmed from me having to do all of that work at such a young age. Hmm. What are some of your favorite memories from taking the gold in the 2007 World Championships? Uh, gosh, you know, it, the first thing that came to my mind was uh, I was only 15 years old and one of my best friends, we met when we were 10, um, we we wrote letters to each other, pen pal letters. And this was way before either of us made the national team. You know, fast forward, we both make the national team and then we both make this world championship team. And so the first thing that comes to my mind, it was just, I got to have a sleepover with my best friend for like two weeks straight. And we were just 
young girls. So we would stay awake and talk and giggle. And, um, it was like a fun international sleepover with your best friend. I mean, you woke up and we had to do a lot of work. Um, but it just made it so much fun that we were able to become such good friends with each other and really like laugh through a lot of intensity, I would say. Um, but that was really my first taste of a big international competition, being part of a team and, um, being on the road for that long. I mean, being 15 and not being with your parents for a two and a half weeks, two weeks, however long it was. I mean, I wasn't a kid to get homesick, but you know, you do start missing your own bed and your schoolwork and your school friends and, and like quote unquote normal life. And so, um, it was just a trip that I feel like I grew up really quick and it really set me up for the following year, I would say. You mentioned it briefly when you were a kid, you wanted to make the Olympics. What do you remember when you made the team to represent the United States in Beijing in 2008? Gosh, you know, when I when I made the team, I it's weird because I felt like I had already proven myself to make the team. And so I knew that I had done everything in my power and I knew I was going to make the team. But until they say your name, it's it's not a dream come true yet. And so it was weird that when they finally said my name, I think I, it was almost just in shock. Like it wasn't like tears. It wasn't like, Oh my God, what a surprise. It was like, I knew that I was going to make the team because of the work that I had done and the job that I'd done competitively leading up to it. But right when she said my name, it was just this like, like deep breath that I was able to take because of how long I had been wanting to make this team and how many obstacles and injuries and doubts. And I think that you go through and every top athlete, you know, the top 1% any sport, I think goes through this emotional roller coaster of training for something big. But I think it heightens a lot of all of those experiences when you're only 16 years old. And so for us, it was just, you know, deer in headlights constantly of what to expect and, you know, what we were supposed to do and what the media is talent talking about us and just being such a well-known person at 16 when I was just a normal kid and went to normal school. I mean, it was, it was kind of a little bit of an identity crisis for me in a lot of ways, I think in, in a lot of good ways, but it was, it was a unique experience in that. Mm. I had the privilege of speaking to Olympic gold medalist Jordan Weber two years ago, and she talked about the pressures of competing on the world's biggest stage, which is the Olympics. You know, what do you remember about your 2008 Olympic experience in Beijing? And we'll start with the opening ceremony. So uh, the gymnasts don't normally go to opening ceremonies because we compete the next day. So it's it's actually a lot of athletes opt out of the uh, opening ceremonies because you're standing for like eight hours. Mm. So most gymnasts are not there because gymnastics is first in the Olympic Games. And it just wouldn't be good for our bodies to be standing on concrete for that long. So I remember watching a little bit on, on TV, but we didn't have TVs in our room even. And so we couldn't, we couldn't watch the full Olympic ceremony or opening ceremonies because we had bedtime, <laughs> <laughs> but I heard it was amazing. You get to mingle with the other teams in the village though. Secretly, I would say, you know, when we're getting treatment or we're walking, but you know, you're supposed to be so focused and so disciplined that like, until you're done, you're really not even supposed to be like looking at anybody else or anything else. But yeah, I mean, we're walking in the Olympic village. We're seeing Michael Phelps. We're seeing the basketball team 
game. Like we're seeing all these incredible athletes. Usain Bolt was there. Um, just, you know, being among one of them and again, just being so young and, and kind of having my first taste of like, wow, I am like one of the best in the whole world. Like you would just have different moments where it hits you of like, this is, this is it. Like people, people train their whole lives to make this moment that I was standing in right there. How did you injure your ankle? It was about five minutes before the competition. We had warmed up all three events and I was almost done warming up my last and final event. And I just landed really crooked and it popped. And I had a teammate come over and she was like, I heard your ankle pop. Are you okay? I'm like, nope, I am not okay. And so, you know, I, I had to walk from the floor to the door without like limping or showing emotion because it's really like, you know, game time and you don't want to let any of the other countries know what's going on. And, um, so I had to get a cortisone shot pretty quickly, but the cortisone shot, there wasn't enough time for the cortisone shot to kick in before I needed to compete on floor. And so for me, it was, you know, devastating of course, but on top of that, you know, I, I had this guilt of like letting my team down and letting my country down. I had to shuffle the lineup. So now I'm putting a lot more pressure on whoever was supposed to go after me, who's now first in line. So there was just a lot about all of that whole moment that, you know, if, if, if I could go back in time and, and somehow not have that happen, that would have been great. But I think that experience was so traumatic in a lot of ways. It, it's really what has given me a lot of strength in, in moments in my life since then. Um, but yeah, that was not ideal, <laughs> but, uh, I still got to compete on bars and it was the greatest routine of my life because of how much pressure I felt and how I was able to handle all my, all my nerves during that moment. What do you remember from that kind of competition on the bars? I just remember being scared shitless. <laughs> Here I am supposed to, supposed to do all four events and, you know, not only do I need to hit bars, but it, it wasn't my strongest event, you know? And so I begged to let them, let me do all the other events. And, um, the national team quarter coordinator at the time looked me in the eye and said, I just need you to hit your bar team. Like, can you make your bar team? So I was like, yeah, of course I can make my bar team. But that also adds a lot of pressure when the national team coordinator coordinator asks you point blank, are you going to be able to make your bar team? And so I think, you know, being, being a woman of my word and not wanting to let anyone down, like I didn't want to make any other routine more than I wanted to make that bar team. But the thing about it is, you know, once you hurt your ankle, it was so swollen, it barely fit in tape. And so every single skill I was doing was off balance. So it wasn't just as easy as making your bar routine because you're so in tune with your body that I was having to constantly adjust for my swollen ankle on top of the bar. So it was, you know, when I made that bar routine and I landed, which I didn't know if I was going to be able to land, I didn't warm one up. It was kind of just like a hail Mary of putting it on my feet. But when I landed, it was just like a willpower routine of like nothing in the world would have ever let me come off that bar because that's how badly I wanted to make that routine. So it was, it's one of the most proudest moments of my life, being able to like hit that bar routine under the most horrible circumstances. That's an incredible story. USA finishes with a team silver medal, an incredible achievement in itself. What do you remember from getting your medal? You know, it, it's... Sounds terrible to say it, but you know, our, our first thought of 
getting that medal was disappointment. You know, it's like, here we are, we won gold, almost essentially the same team from world championships the year before we, um, came in and, and we were expected to get gold. We wanted to get gold. There was no other color of metal that was going to be acceptable for us other than gold. We had no doubts that we were going to win. But another girl on our team, she broke her ankle like the first or second day we got there. So she wasn't full strength. I was not, no one on our team was basically full strength, which is why they've changed a lot of the processes now to keep athletes healthier, which thank goodness. But I think we were all just standing on the podium shocked that we didn't win gold. And we thought we let everybody down, I think, frankly. And so it wasn't until we were able to process everything and, and kind of be like, wow, no, we, we won the silver medal. Like that is so cool. Like no one knows behind the scenes of everything our team had to go through to win that silver medal. And morning to night, we all gave 110%. And that was the best that we could do in that moment. And it was pretty incredible comparing compared to like all of the obstacles we had to go through in those moments. So I think, you know, our initial reaction was disappointment, but as time has gone on. And I think if you ask any of us now, we are, we have so much pride in that silver medal because of all of the hurdles, I think. I ask every Olympic medalist who's come on my show this next question. What do you do with your medal? <laughs> it's at my parents' house somewhere. Hopefully it's in a safe somewhere. <laughs> no, I haven't looked at it in a while. I gotta, I gotta ask them about it. You bring it out for like special occasions and stuff like that. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, right after the Olympics, you know, I came home and my school threw me a pep rally. So of course I brought the medal and, you know, a lot of different appearances, people want to see the medal right away, but then, you know, enough time has passed and they're on to the next Olympic cycle and the next medal that they want to see. So I think it's been a really long time since I've even looked at what the medal looks like. Fair enough. Okay, Duval Nation, we are going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Samantha Peshek. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right, Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Enjoy listening to podcasts and ever wonder... Can I make a podcast? But it seems so complicated, and good audio production can take time. What if there was a way to create an amazing podcast easily? Well, now there is. Introducing Podcasting Made Easy from Podtastic Audio. My production team will handle your entire audio production, allowing you to be the star of your show. This is Podcasting Made Easy. How easy? Well, so easy, you don't even have to press record. Now that's easy. Your listeners are waiting. Let's deliver. Sign up for a free strategy call today at podtasticaudio.com slash easy. Hello, Duvall Nation. Derek Duvall here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek Duvall Show. 
BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. This is Marielle Sanji, the author of The Absinthe Frappe from LSU Press. Have you ever wondered about the mysteries of absinthe? The spirit is packed with history, and in my book, I explore the myths and facts behind this elusive liquor. What is it about absinthe that appealed to artists like Vincent van Gogh? How did the absinthe frappe cocktail take the country by storm in the 19th century? Why was absinthe banned? And how were the restrictions on absinthe lifted? Dive into the world of absinthe in the absinthe frappe, available wherever you prefer to buy your books. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy, it is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, 
and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Work Hours Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Janae Sergio, arriving. Hello, everyone. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 198 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with former elite gymnast and Olympian, Samantha Peshek. What are some of your favorite memories representing UCLA in competition? Man, UCLA was so fun. It was great. I, I went into school thinking it was going to be this super easy experience, and, and it wasn't at all. It was um, really difficult and balanced school and gym and really just being part of a team every single day, which was so much fun because in the elite gymnastics world, I I didn't really have a team to train with. So that was fun. I'm trying to think, you know, just competing with my teammates and, you know, again, just being part of the team. And I know I was part of team USA, but it's a little bit different when you don't train with them year round. Whereas in college, you're training with these same athletes year round. So the bond that you're kind of going through with them and, kind of transitioning out of the sport and, and it's college gymnastics is like a celebration almost of everything you accomplished before then. And just getting to perform and do what you love and and do it every single weekend. I mean, it was, it's just a blast. You're the second UCLA Bruin uh, gold medalist I've had on my show now. Maddie Musselman, who is the water polo lead goal, all-time lead goal scorer now. Yes, yes she is. So three Thank gold you. medals one team silver, one team bronze. You have a storied career with the Bruins. How hard was it to announce your retirement after the 2015 NCAA national championship? Gosh, I don't even think I, I don't even know if I did an official retirement. Um, but I think it's just, it was normal times are changing, but it was normal that once you graduated college, you're just retired. And so, um, I think, you know, I talk about my Olympic bar team being one of the hardest bar teams of my life. I think on the same level was my last and final beam routine because, you know, win or lose, make the best routine of my life or, you know, fall three times, it was going to be my last one. And so I was an athlete that loved the sport. I loved competing and, and knowing that it was my last and final opportunity of my entire life. Um, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So that was probably, you know, equally in line with the most amount of pressure I've ever had on a routine because I wanted to do so well as, as just a gift to myself for my final send off and a gift to my team and, and just my family and everything that, you know, coaches and, and everyone in the sport has given to me. So that is a really, really great memory for me to, to go out on top and to do a really amazing beam routine for my last one ever. Fair enough. 
Simone Biles made history when she withdrew from competition and shone a light on mental health and professional sports. As a former elite gymnast, do you feel enough attention was not given to athletes' mental health at such a high level of competition? I don't know. It's a it's a tough question, right? Because um, times have changed. The culture is different now than it used to be. And so, yeah, maybe hindsight's 2020. We, we definitely should have had like a mental performance coach being so young, competing at the highest level with so much pressure. Like, yeah, that probably should be something that is uh, just as, as normalized as getting physical treatment on your body for sure. Um, so, you know, in a way I'm, I'm happy with the shift because, um, I think it's going to give athletes, young athletes, especially the tools and the resources to be able to handle those big moments, or at least be able to speak up and say when, you know, they're struggling. So yeah, it'll be an interesting, quad, I think the next few quads to see how it shakes out. But I think it's a positive change for the sport and sports in general, just to have all these high level athletes and and hopefully the the bounce back can be a little bit quicker for the athletes that have been through it. And, you know, I'm certainly in that category. Do you go on YouTube and watch your Olympic performances that are on there? No. <laughs> We did. We watched. I wish them. I had time to go back and watch the glory days, Derek. <laughs> we watched them doing the the uh, prep for this interview, and they're very impressive. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Thanks. There's this. Um, I'm not sure if you know who Jonathan Van Ness is, but he's super famous. He's one of the queer eye for the straight guy, mm. um, dudes, and lives in Austin, Texas. And I ran into him the other day, and he recognized me, which was like the best moment of my life. I can go die now that <laughs> recognized me. Um, but he said that he had just watched my beam routine, which is funny since I've been retired for so long. And he was reminding me of some skills that I did. And I was like, man, I should, you know, when I'm having a down day and feeling, you know, we all have those moments where we're like feeling like shit and we're just not in a good place. And I should really go back and watch that because I think I would probably impress myself now watching what I used to be able to do. So I'll keep that in mind for, for a rainy day. Yeah. It's all in very high quality too. I was quite impressed considering the Olympics were so long ago. So yeah. Talk about your boot camp for the balance beam. Yeah. You know, I mentioned earlier that beam queen boot camp is literally everything that I wish that I had as a young athlete, I struggled a lot with fears and just competing with confidence. And, um, you know, after I graduated, I wanted to figure out what's one thing that I can give back to the sport that has given me so much. And for me, it was figuring out how to not only love balance beam, but make it my secret weapon. And so I reflected and figured out how was I able to go from hating it, almost quitting the sport to loving it and it being my best event. So I created a whole curriculum around balance beam. And what I think is really cool is that beam to me is the most synonymous to life. You know, you're falling down all the time. You have to figure out how to get back up on hard days, try new skills, try new things, compete with confidence. And so that underlying theme of confidence when you're competing on beam is really what makes great beam workers. And, you know, so be it, that's actually what makes great leaders in our world today, right? Is, is having that confidence, waking up with confidence in job interviews, in tough moments. And so I think it's really cool that sport is such a great avenue to teach life lessons. Mm -hmm. 
One of the questions, um, when I told people you were coming on the show, one of the questions someone wanted to ask you was, what does the diet of an elite gymnast look like? Oh, gosh. You know, this is another thing that I feel like there's so much more education around now than there was back in the day. Um, and I sound like I'm 80 years old. You know, it really wasn't that long ago. Um, but, you know, it's it's funny when you think about nutrition, right? There was the era of the like no fat era and everything just had lots of sugar in it. Right. On all the labels were like, as long as it says no fat, like it's fine. And then you went through the diet era where it's like the diet Coke and the, as long as it said diet, it's fine. And so I think I came a little bit after that where, um, you know, the special K bars were a thing and, um, there really just wasn't that much knowledge around, um, how to fuel your body around training. And so I ate extremely clean and, and really healthy, especially like the years leading up to the Olympics. But, you know, if I were to look back, I think I would have definitely created a different nutrition plan based on, you know, how to keep my body healthy. And so I think I would have eaten more greens and, and done more things and had a supplement and, you know, replaced a lot of, chocolate milks with, um, cherry juice or recovery stuff that I think just wasn't a thing back then. Fair enough. Uh, I do want to ask you about your endeavor into the world of podcasting, your show called I have cool friends. Tell my listeners about it. Yeah, I started, I have cool friends a few years ago. I guess it's been longer than a few years ago. It feels like it's only been a few years, but, um, I love telling stories. I, I love learning from people. I love connecting with people. And, you know, I wanted to start this podcast that had nothing to do with gymnastics. And um, I'm really interested in, in business and wellness and really the personal development space. And so I was meeting all of these amazing entrepreneurs in LA that I was becoming friends with. And I would brag about them to all my other friends. And so I didn't realize, but it kind of became my catchphrase that I would be like, oh my gosh, I have the coolest friend. And then I would tell them about, about this friend and what I learned or their expertise. And so when I was thinking about a podcast of like, what was organic to me and what would I enjoy doing, whether somebody listened to it or not, I was going to have this conversation with this person. And so it ended up being like such a great passion project for me that um, started to, to take off and, and do really well. We're, we've been in a pause for this year, but we're actually, you know, brainstorming and getting ready to bring it back. So I'm, I'm happy you brought it up. Um, one of the things I ask all the podcasters who come on my show, um, is this, this next question. And that is what sort of challenges have you had to overcome since you took up this hobby? The challenge I had to overcome podcasting, I think, I think just figuring out how to make space for it. You know, I, all the, all the careers that I have, I, I do because I love them. I think if I was a billionaire, I would be doing the exact same thing I'm doing right now, maybe, maybe on a smaller scale, but, um, I would be broadcasting. I would, I would be running beam queen bootcamp and I would be podcasting. So I think because, most of my careers are still at the beginning stages. Now they're, they're grown a little bit more. It's tough to find the time that I'd like to commit to doing podcasting. So figuring out how to time block and, you know, coordinate with my guest, get, get it posted. Also do the social media that goes along with 
with it. I mean, you know, better than anybody, like how much work goes into preparing for a podcast and questions and, um, making it look seamless and effortless and just a conversation. And then, you know, the post-production process as well. There's a reason my hair is so gray. So trust me, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> what do you enjoy the most? You're about- like, I get it. Oh, yeah. I get it. Trust me. Uh, what do you enjoy the most about podcasting though? I love it. I mean, I love just talking to people. Um, you know, I had this guest on one time, he was a dream manipulator and I just love talking to him about the future of what dreams mean and how you manipulate them. And, and what does like that look like for normal people? And is that something that we're going to be introduced to later? And I don't know, I'm, I'm really fascinated by experts and people that are passionate about a very niche topic. And so if I was at a dinner, I would be asking them the same question. So being able to do it in a podcast format and just riff and, and learn and be curious. I mean, I'm one of the most curious people, I think. Um, I love documentaries and I, I just love learning. And so getting really interesting humans to want to have a conversation about what they're passionate about is so fun for me. Fair enough. Yeah. De Coubertin said the most important thing in life is not the triumph, but the struggle. You get a chance to talk to your younger self. What would you say to her? Hmm. That's a great question. You know, I think. I think I would tell my younger self to like, enjoy the process. And it's something that I try to remind myself in uh, now, you know, uh, the world of gymnastics is so intense, especially at such a young age. So from the age of 12, there's this like intensity around work. And I started gymnastics because I loved it. And of course I had big dreams and big goals, but I really liked doing it. You know, I like learning new skills. I like competing. Um, but then once I made the national team, you know, they, they, I want to say burden you with this mindset that it's a full-time job and it has to be so tough and, and, hard and just not fun. Right. And, you know, going to college, I learned that you can really be at your best and still have fun. And I think that's a a big thing that Simone Biles is actually bringing back to the sport that like, Hey, you can compete at the highest level and like, you can have joy and do it too. Like it doesn't have to be such, such a miserable experience. And so, you know, I felt guilty whenever I was like having fun in the gym or like hanging out with my school friends, because it wasn't like hard or tough. And so I think if I were to tell my younger self anything, it would be like, it's okay to like enjoy life and and have fun. You're still on this journey. You're still working hard. And like, we can do both at the same time. So I think it's just a good message because we can get in these rabbit holes of like, you know, wanting to accomplish this one thing. And at the end of the day, it's like, you're still going to be working just as hard, even if you enjoy the process. Mm. What is next for Samantha? Some rest and downtime. (laughs) Um, You know, I have like a really interesting career where January through April, I work for ESPN. So I'm gone most every weekend commentating for meets. And then um, May through August is our Beam Queen Bootcamp events. And so really September to December is my, you know, quote unquote downtime to, Uh, go back to the drawing board, plan the following year, audit how this year went, 
Um, I just got back from world championships. So it was my last work trip of the year. And so it's, it's honestly just so nice to sleep in my own bed and to get to work from my own office and to kind of just catch up on like laundry and life and shopping and going to the grocery store and, um, all the things that I think are really tough when you're traveling every single week. Nice. So as we enter the final phase of the interview, I always like to ask one fun question, Samantha, what do you like to do for fun? How do you like to relax? You know, I just moved to Austin, Texas two years ago, and it's been really fun because Lake Austin is so close. So I grew up on a boat, um, on a lake in Indiana and, and in the summer, like that was my happy time. But the problem is, um, the weather is only good about three, four months out of the year in Indiana, but here in Austin, Texas, it's nice, like 10 months out of the year. So going on the boat and, you know, wake surfing and hanging out with friends, it's kind of like, you know, my, again, my happy place. And so being able to do that throughout the year here has been really nice. I'm not amazing wake surfing yet, but it's been fun trying to learn tricks and, and get a little bit better. So hopefully I'll, I'll be able to be a little bit more skilled next year. Nice. What would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? I would say uh, Instagram is probably the social media that I'm most active on. It's at S-A-M-A-N-T-H-A-P-E-S-Z-E-K. Um, and you can also find us at Beam Queen Bootcamp on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok as well and YouTube, LinkedIn, all the places. So you can check it out and you can also check out my old episodes of the I Have Cool Friends podcast on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast because I I have some cool guests on there. I agree. I've, I've listened to a few episodes. They're really cool. So very cool. All right, <laughs> Samantha, I am my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of Earth? I would like to tell everybody that, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. And my parents used to tell me that when I was a young kid and I believed them. And I think that was the foundation to help me make the Olympic team. And I think through that experience, I do believe that I can do anything I set my mind to. And I think when you grow up and become an adult, you see a lot of the negatives and the obstacles before allowing yourself to just pursue your dreams. And if you want it bad enough, you can truly do anything. And so hopefully if you're listening to this and you have a goal or a dream and it's, you know, you have all the negative thoughts of it's going to be so hard, or this is probably going to prevent me, or I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good enough, you know, just take a look in the mirror and, and find some inspiration because you can do anything you set your mind to. Samantha, you have left your mark on U.S. sports and a legacy that will be forever remembered. Congratulations on one hell of a career and my best wishes for your future endeavors. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. It was fun. Thanks yeah. for hanging. You're welcome. And just like that, Deval Nation, we come to the end of episode 198. I want to thank Samantha for taking the time to come on the show and speak with me. What an incredible privilege, and I am forever thankful for her agreeing to come on the show. So, Samantha, thanks ever so much, and you are welcome back on my show anytime. 
Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go ahead and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner of the left that says merch. Click that and you'll be taking our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, take a break from social media this week for a whole day. Just one day. The world will not end, I promise you. Get outside and just unplug. Go for a long walk, play with your dogs, whatever it takes, but unplug from social media for one whole day. See just how good it feels. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.